Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Kurt Vonnegut Radio. This is Gabe Hudson, and this is my podcast. With our huge and battered hearts, we are barreling forth into the unknown, a.k.a. fall 2023. What magic does this new season have in store for us? What miracles lie yonder? Today, I am super excited because we've got an amazing writer on the show, Alex DeBranco, who writes the popular substack, Both Are True. Alex is a writer, actor, and a comedian. He writes about his life as a new father and being a sort of hopeful millennial in a dying empire. His work is hilarious, but it's also shot through with real grace and vulnerability. In Vonnegut speak, Alex's writing is nice, nice, very nice. On the page, Alex's heart is frequently in conflict with itself. Thus, the title of his substack, Both Are True. And Alex's conflicted heart drives his stories. He desperately wants to be a good father, good husband, good friend. And he's really, really trying. But let's just say it's a journey. He's like a millennial David Sedaris or Larry David. Before we get into my convo with the fabulous Alex DeBranco, some announcements from Kurt Vonnegut Radio HQ. From now on, we'll publish a new Kurt Vonnegut Radio episode every Tuesday morning. Future guests, Maggie Smith, Dave Eggers, Mike Snowden, A.M. Holmes, plus more. And I want to take a second just to thank our newest paid subscribers on Substack because the paid subscribers let me buy groceries. These people are my heroes. Rachel Sherman, Akil Sharma, Lynn Crawford, Chris Rhodes, Aaron Carr, Leah Eichler. Also, I want to thank our newest founding member subscriber, Julia Whitehead. After a quick Google search, I learned Julia Whitehead is a former Marine and the founder and CEO of the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library in Indianapolis. I'm a former Marine and the humble founder of Kurt Vonnegut Radio. So that practically makes us sister and brother. Now, I've had no correspondence with Julia Whitehead but I've known about the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library forever. I was born in Muncie, Indiana. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library's mission is to champion the legacy of Kurt Vonnegut and the values of free expression and common decency. Kurt Vonnegut wrote some of the most banned books in America, 
and Julia Whitehead and her colleagues at the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are on the front lines of the book banning battles across America. This is truly the Lord's work. And so we at Kurt Vonnegut Radio humbly salute you, Julia Whitehead, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, let's dive into my interview with the amazing Alex DeBranco. Alex, as you are about to hear, is a truth teller extraordinaire. Let's talk about your Substack. Sure. Um, that's how I met you. There is so much pathos in this work. Mm. The comedic essay, but it's also very Thanks. vulnerable. Can I read just a little bit of sure. your, I think my son hates me? Please. A couple months ago, our son Wilder turned a year and a half. The boy had simplified the who's on first joke into its purest essence. Mama was data. Mama was also mama. And me, I was nada. <laughs> I wish so badly I could tell you that I handled this like a mature adult. Christmas. We were with Lauren's family in Atlanta, and I was in charge of keeping Wilder away from the kitchen. Wilder's been acting like a deranged stalker around her lately. It's literally like he's a toddler and she's his mother. It's insane. <laughs> For a while, I managed to distract him with Christmas lights and peekaboo. But eventually, I took a cheese break, and he broke through, storming into the kitchen, yelling, Dada! It was advanced psychological warfare. And I crumbled. <laughs> He noticed me on his tail, weak and frail, the human embodiment of a bad knee. So we turned around screaming, no, and pushed me away, kicking me, open palm hitting, and then more kicking, all while screaming Dada in the direction of Lauren, all by the way in front of Lauren's family. It's one thing to destroy your father's porcelain sense of self at home and private. But, but to do so around the people to whom he was promised to care for their daughter by being a dada of sorts for the entire family? Savage. <laughs> I'm fragile as a bubble in a ceiling fan store. I pop, by which I mean imploded, shutting down into sadness autopilot. I walked out of the kitchen, puffed my way into the living room. Truly, though, I was pissed, hurt, and deflated, and sad, and broken mad at myself, all of which I only realized when Wilder walked back into the living room, and I felt myself wanting him to see me upset so he'd feel bad and apologize. <laughs> Just to make sure we're all following, I am now playing insecure mind games with a 567-day-old child. Oh, uh, thanks. I'm embarrassed that I laughed that much, but I haven't ever heard it read out loud. All of that happened. I think what I've been trying to push myself to do more of is willing to look like the idiot, willing to look yeah, yeah. really bad. I, I also just think nobody talks about that. Nobody says yeah. it's okay to feel awful around yeah. your two-year-old kid and to be like, this kid is ruining my self-esteem. <laughs> and that's what was happening. When he has so much power over me. I had quit my job with the intent, I'm going to do stand-up for real. And yeah. then we had Wilder and open mics suck anyways. But I was just like, I can't do this. I don't like it yeah. here. And so I think I decided, what if I just did stand up on Substack? And, and, and a big part of that decision was nobody else is really doing that. I've 
always wanted to write and always thought that I wasn't good enough. I think working through a lot of the therapy stuff, it just finally made me realize I just have to start putting it out there. And I started and something clicked around the same time. Oh, I'm just letting it come out. I'm not censoring nearly as much as I used to. It just started to feel good. And then I looked at a lot of my older stand-up that I had written and I was like, yeah. oh no, that was an essay. I've been doing this. I just didn't know uh, it. It's all there already. That yeah. seems so profound. So your stand-up sets were really these kinds of essays. 100%, yeah. So you don't feel the call of the stage. I still do. Okay. It's the white whale. It's my biggest thing that I've never been able to do. What I love about stand-up is you have to listen to the audience because they tell you who you are. Yeah, I do that. think there's something special about writing on Substack because we get the quick response and we can engage with readers. Yes, there's feedback. You need feedback as a comedian. These people are really reading it. And they gave me the confidence to do more. So it was huge. It's not something yeah. I've really thought a lot about. I think I was doing this writing forever but I didn't yeah. know it was writing. I was yeah, yeah. sending emails like this to all of my best yes. friends all the time. Yes. When I try to make them laugh in an email, it's that exact same thing. When I tell them a story in a text, it's that. I was, yeah, but writing can't be that. Writing has to be writing, right. capital W, right? Kafka was perpetually ashamed of the fact that he used the... Aesop fable form or the animal tales. I'm mm. very embarrassed that he was mm. using children's story templates. Mm -hmm. Like that's not real literature, is mm -hmm. it? Is how he felt. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, but what if I just did that though? It is the yes and thing of improv where I just yeah. started saying yes and to a lot more of what came out onto the page, including typing errors, capitalization stuff that's pretty weird. The mistakes are the, the story. You were saying yes and to you. Yeah. And you were writing. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, it, because when an audience in improv sees you make a mistake and then you laugh at it and fold it into the scene, they yeah. love it because they can relax. Like, he fucked up, but he doesn't care. Let's all have some fun. And I think... That's what I'm trying to do on the page, too. Let it happen. And if it doesn't work, I'll just say that. Dang, I really thought that was going to pan out. I've always been such a critic of my own stuff. And so the hardest work for me is to minimize the gap between when I have an idea and when I put it out there. There's that writer, Donald Barclay, who did the very funny short stories in the New Yorker. He wrote a thesis on the idea of not knowing, mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. benefit of not knowing, mm -hmm. like what you're describing. Mm -hmm. And you're just saying, hey, I'm going to the page. I don't even know what's going to come out. Yeah. You have a kind of faith that something will come out. That's really well put. This will happen sometimes in an essay where I'll blow my mind, <laughs> you know, where I'll be yes. like, oh my God, it is that and that. And I'll just write that. And people are like, Oh, I really felt that because you just put it in all caps and you just say it. What a great gift for you to have been doing improv. I feel like improv could be the greatest training for a writer. It was my foundation of knowledge of how things work, what makes a good scene, what makes things funny, what moves things yeah. along and being honest. Right. And that dovetails with acting. I did a lot of acting in Austin and tell me, tell I wanted to meet other writers and someone told me to just audition for stuff like UT grad school films. And I auditioned for a bunch. And I think because I didn't care, I yeah. got cast in a bunch. 
And then I, t- I started taking it a lot more seriously and started taking classes with this woman, Laurel, who does Meisner. Okay. Do you know Meisner? You just repeat something back and forth over and over until one of you gets the hit to change what is being said by calling someone out for whatever is this happening with them. What it teaches you is not to lie. You can't lie. And the other person will call out if you're lying. If you're like, I'm not sad. I'll be like, yeah, you're sad. I'm not sad. You're sad. And you'll keep doing that until you reveal that you are sad or whatever. They're seeing, they'll call that out. Just call out whatever you're seeing in the other person. It's really hard (laughs) because they, because you just, you can't hide right there's nowhere to go because there's no scene you're literally just like you sit across from the other person and you go you're smiling i'm smiling you're smiling i'm smiling you don't want to be honest with me i don't want to be honest with you the words are just the boat to ride the top of the emotions and so i think all of that to say i really try not to lie in the writing too i have to be honest and it's this thing of treating your audience. This is from improv too. UCB taught me this. They have a thing, play to the top of your intelligence, which basically means treat your audience like they're geniuses. And with treating them like geniuses, the idea is I can't lie to them. They're going to know. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll know everything you're doing. When I tell the truth, it's just I feel better. Yeah. Truth telling is contagious. So. And it's hard. And I think a lot of people don't know how to do it at all. Like I was saying earlier, I doubt whether I'm even telling the truth or am I actually just manipulating people. But when the audience comes back to you and we made a connection, I'm probably being honest and I have to just be like, okay, that's as good as I can do. I'm not going to figure this out today. You're not going to figure it out today. And then also you've got to cede control. You're not the one who gets to determine if you told the truth. The audience does. Do you know TJ and Dave improv? Beforehand, they always just say, we don't have to do anything. It's a Taoist thing of nothing to do. The show is already out there. We just have to step into it and let it happen, Mm. which is the same thing as writing. The piece is already there. You don't have to, don't do so much. Just chill. And it's there. Do you think about the next six months, where your work is going? Or do you not think about it and stay true to that kind of improv thing of just being in the moment? Both in that I I, I try to keep the improv thing once I'm inside of any particular essay, but I'm thinking a lot. I just have a lot of ideas. There are things I'm comfortable being honest about. Yeah, And then there are yeah. things that I'm not comfortable being honest about yet. And then there are things that I don't yeah. even know I'm not comfortable being honest about. Ooh. It's easy for me to talk about a lot of things, but it's really right. not right. easy for me to talk about that next level down. And I want to push you. myself to that level. And a lot of that stuff is like mental health, mental illness stuff. I wrote a full essay about that, but I haven't published it because I'm too scared. And I put a lot of that stuff behind the paywall, too. I put a big essay about addiction behind the paywall. Yeah. And may I ask how readers engage with that behind a paywall? Is that the thing where you go stare out at the pool and you're Mm -hmm. like, damn, only one person liked that? It was rough. That was the first big essay I posted. And I did a lot of staring out at at the pool. And and my (laughs) wife was like... She was really worried about me. She was like, you, "This, I don't think this is good for you. I'm still trying to figure out the right strategy for how to get people to pay for my work and whether right, it is right. putting the essays I work the most on behind the paywall or right. not. I'm more and more thinking that might not be the move. I think with this, the, I actually liked that it was not free because I wasn't really ready for everybody to read it. 
really like a testament to the levels of intimacy on Substack yeah. because that's like a backstage pass exactly. them to look at something. And I did include a little bit of it for free. So people did get a taste, but I don't know. I'm thinking a lot about paid strategy because this is my job. This is how yeah. I make yeah. money and people yeah. do it. So it's not like it's impossible. People on Substack make a yeah. living. So they really do. So and I mean, I'm still I'm still so new at this. Like when people pay subscriptions for mine, it's I mean, crazy. I might have to edit this out, but I'm like, damn, that was cool. Like, I didn't <laughs> see that coming. I don't think you should, why would you edit that? That's not you don't want them to see no, that. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm, I'm blown away. I still I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, what? You did what? It incentivizes you to work harder. Yeah. You're working on a book for your publisher like a Knopf or publish two books with them. It's, you're so removed from the process of, of production and you write the book, you turn it in, it's a year later, it comes out. Mm -hmm. By that time, you don't even know what is in the book. Mm -hmm. But here, someone gives you their money directly mm -hmm. and sometimes with a note about why they did this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh man, I will work so hard for you totally. just because that's yeah. the kind of person I am. And it's very motivating. It's interesting because like, I've never done anything other than this, really. So it's, I've thought about putting these essays together for a book or writing a book. But I it's think like, you will one day. But what I love is you're growing it here yeah. in this space. Yeah. I just think the process of finding out who you are mm -hmm. and letting the audience tell you mm -hmm. and keep trying and being willing to bomb. Yeah. I definitely do bomb. <laughs> I definitely do take pretty bomb. big risks. You can do video on Substack. And so right. I think for a while, I really hated the impulse in myself to how do I maximize conversion? So I created this character who was my twin brother named Brad Conversion. I just made videos with him, like just talking about all of that stuff. And it, yeah. it happened right after Substack featured me for Substack Reads. Yeah. There were a ton yeah. of new people. And yeah. I just came out with that. And I don't ever break the, the wall. So I'm just like, this is my twin brother. And he wanted to say some stuff to you guys. You have to commit to the bit. Yeah. And, and I don't know if people really got it. <laughs> some did, but I think some people were like, what the fuck is going on here? Did you feel any thought about what Subtext just recommended to me? I got the little medallion or whatever. Is it weird that I'm suddenly pivoting to video guy? Yes, I did think that because I've done this often right after yeah. I get some eyeballs. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm yeah. to sabotage this a little bit or like, yes, I'm gonna, yeah. And I don't know what so that... So relatable, my yeah, friend. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that impulse in you. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I've lived by it. Yeah. And yeah. I've almost died by it, but yeah. not yet. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one. But something in me wants to do it. Let me just ruin this real yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were very forthcoming about the comedians that had inspired you. I think one of my favorite writers is Laurie Moore. Yeah. Dude. She's fabulous. I just reread her stories over and over and over. She's the only person I do it. Her and Vonnegut. No joke. Those are the two people where I read it. I don't even care what it's about. This is so enjoyable to, yeah, to, to yeah. be here with this. And Vonnegut is just, he's the best. The namesake. I think the idea of his that I try to put in my writing and I do my own version of is this sort of defining things as if you were talking to an alien yes. and through that shedding light on them for how they absurd they really are. Like slavery was when we owned other people and that's it. Right, right. It's, he just does that so well. 
Slaughterhouse-Five so, so was my favorite book of his. It's incredibly progressive and smart about gender. Dude. If you go back and look, it's like, it's like characters with eight genders. And like, inequality you know? and poverty stuff. Like, yes. He had a great joke-telling ability. Oh, my God. And a fierce heart about being righteous that's, and caring about people. That's the thing. That he's savage in telling the truth, but he's also yes. such a good dude. And that's yeah. rare. To, to yeah. have both of those. And that graduation speech he did where he was like, if this isn't nice, what is? I deeply connect to that because it's so not saccharine. I think those yeah. speeches are where he really shines as an artist. Yeah. I, I think that in if his best of his books, it's like he's talking to. Yes. You know the sunscreen song? Boz Lerman? I don't think I... Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> it's just it's like a, a slam poem of this dude just giving you instructions on life in this deep voice, Boz Lerman made the song. He's the director who did Moulin Rouge. And the story for a long time was that the text of the song is a, a Kurt Vonnegut speech that he gave at a commencement. That, and, wow. and people used to reach out to him and be like, that speech really moved me. And but Vonnegut was like, I never wrote that speech. And it turns <laughs> out that the actual person who wrote it was this woman, a Washington Post reporter, who wrote a sort wow. of opinion piece on how to live a good life. And, yeah, yeah. but everybody thought it was Vonnegut, but he was yeah. very much, it's not me. Like you guys need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just always, <laughs> I think about that a lot. It's a great song. Now we're going to do a quick segment called Q and Hey. And basically I just got some questions for Alex from the community on notes over on Substack. So the first question is from Mike Soden. He says he wants to ask you, Alex, why are you trying to ruin his life? Sorry, who is Mike Soden? That name doesn't ring a bell to me. That guy, he and I were beefing because I'm a really talented, great guy. And he's just like this... <laughs> garbage individual the second one is from michael estern yeah and he wants to ask you about is your best self question mark your messy self question mark your vulnerable self question mark all of the cells is it possible to be a three-dimensional self in a one-dimensional medium and if so is this the kind of self-expression that's good for us I love Michael. I, I guess each piece is trying to share one or more of those that's, it's hard to share otherwise. I'm writing one right now that it's embarrassing about me and my son. And I wouldn't really get to share that with somebody on the street, but I can do it in right. this medium. I think that makes somebody three-dimensional. He said also, follow up. What television show or movie inspired Alex to come to Los Angeles to pursue the hyphenate life. What inspired it? You don't have a ready-made answer for studio people? I haven't really had the opportunity to chat with too many <laughs> studio people. With the strike, I always joke that oh, I've, I've been on strike for a long time, way before they went official. Like I, <laughs> They're catching up to me, but I've been striking for basically since I got out here. And our last question comes from... Pamela Ross, and her question is, to what extent 
Alex, has your improv training informed your approach to, in parentheses, humor writing? Are there any improv principles the average writer could apply to their work to improve it or to expedite the writing process? There's one thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about the improv yeah. stuff, and it's really helpful in my writing. I think it's what makes my writing feel like improv. It's called platform tilt. Okay. And it's this idea of every scene in improv, you set up a platform. And that's the agreed upon reality of the scene. It can be very mm -hmm. weird. Doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? It can be that we're aliens who are also doctors. If that's the reality, that's the platform. The tilt is when something strange happens in that world. So in that world, mm -hmm. if one of the aliens doesn't know how to use a stethoscope, that's weird because he should. And that's the comedy of the scene. And I think just having that idea of setting something up and then surprising somebody with something different, that's what makes people laugh. They expect one thing, they get another thing. The dissonance is funny. And then in that yep. dissonance, I often hopefully can mine my way into something a little deeper. I would love to hear three people that really inspire you and how you came to their work. So the three are the three people in my writers group. They're Substack yeah. writers. And I love each of their stuff individually. The first is Anne Cadet from Cafe Anne. Okay. She is just so funny. It, it's gonzo reporting on New York, but, but with a really good heart. She'll yeah. just do reports on bagel shops or just really weird stuff. She was like my first Substack writer crush. When I met gotcha. her, I was like, wow, gotcha. she's so good. And the second is Michael Estrin. He writes Situation Normal. We both exist in the personal memoir, humorous memoir, extended universe. It's like we both yeah. do that same exact thing. Right. I was like, oh, man, I'm so jealous of how good he is. The last one is Jane Ratcliffe. So she writes something called Beyond, and it's interviews yeah. with writers. Uh, Maggie Smith yep. has been on there. I just love her writing. And also she's the coolest human being. I think she was friends with Ram Dass. She was, she's just, she was a part of 80s New York music reporting. Right. But she just right. very casually throws stuff around. I'm just like, wait, what? Jane, you're like very fucking cool. <laughs> and she's just such a good writer. Then the last one, probably my favorite person on Substack, like who I want to be when I grow up is Heather Havrileski. That's the epitome of comedy pathos. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being so open and meeting me here and being so real. Oh, man, I love talking about this stuff and I don't get to do it that often. So thank you. So now is when you go over to Substack and subscribe to Alex's Substack, which is called Both Are True. Alex's last name, Dobrenko, is spelled like so. D-O-B- R-E-N-K-O. I will include links in the show notes to some of my favorite essays by Alex. If you want to go say hi to Alex on Twitter, his handle is at D-O-B-R-E-N-K-Z. You can find Alex on Instagram at Alex Gabranco. If you want to say hi, come find me at Kurt Vonnegut Radio, on Substack, on Twitter. I'm at Gabe Hudson. And I'm on Instagram, at Gabe G. Hudson. 
If you enjoy the show, go to Spotify or Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your pods and leave us a review. And if your review is good, then I'll read it on the show next week. Stay safe out there, people. And I'll see you next time. Peace.